As Daniel mentioned, we're starting a series today on, on the Lord's Prayer. And so the first thing we're going to look at today is, is our Father and what that means for our life. Uh, so first, let's turn and see what the Word of God has to tell us about our Father. We're going to read first, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, in Psalm 103. And then we will turn and read uh, the recording of Jesus' teaching of the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Now to Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus is talking here, if you didn't know. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word that instructs us in all the ways of life, in all of the areas that we have questions and wonderings. Indeed, it goes far beyond that and teaches us and instructs us in things that we would have no concept of, that we would have no reason or inclination to think of. So great is your wisdom, so great is your grace and your mercy to us, Father, that you have given us this, your word, that you have given us your word, which is your son. We ask that you would instruct us now as we meditate on your word. I ask that you would uh, guard my
my words, that they would align with the message that you have for us, your people, your sons and daughters today. May everything else fall away. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Um, I don't know if I said or not, and I know a lot of you, but my name is Ben. Uh, I don't think I said who I was. I was just like, oh, some random guy telling us the pastor's not here. That's a little weird. Uh, my name is Ben. I get the privilege of serving on a session here at Valley Hope and, uh, and the privilege of sharing with you all today. So I'm going to look really quickly at kind of an introduction to the Lord's Prayer. What is it? What do we do with it? Uh, we'll look at that first line, our Father, and then we'll, we'll try to look at what exactly that means for our lives. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground in not a lot of time. Uh, oftentimes in, in the church, and you'll still find it in a lot of churches in the world and even in the United States today, the Lord's Prayer is called the Our Father. Depending on what tradition you've been in, you may have called it that. You may have heard it called the Our Father. Uh, in a lot of languages, including the original language that Jesus was speaking in, Father is actually the first word. So it actually transliterates a Father Our. Um, and so we see that, that this is of utmost importance to Jesus in teaching his disciples to pray, is to say, start with this word, Father. We have... Of course, uh, two records of, of this basic prayer in Scripture. We have it here in Matthew. We have it again in Luke chapter 11. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter too much uh, what the differences are that you may see in, in looking at those two things. Uh, the consensus seems to be that, that that's just slightly different ways of, of the same prayer being passed along over time. Uh, this was heavily used, not only widely used in the church, that might not surprise you to know that, that Roman Catholics and Protestants and all, all sorts of denominations have used this prayer for the last nearly 2,000 years. What might surprise you, depending again on where you're coming from, is how heavily it was and still is used in the church. Uh, for most of church history, the Lord's Prayer has been prayed by Christians roughly three times a day, uh, verbatim, and, and having more prayers growing out of that. The witness uh, of Scripture and the witness of, of the church for the last 2,000 years has been that we ought to pray this prayer, and in fact that we need to pray this prayer. Of course, over time, uh, many of us have forgotten that, neglected that, perhaps not ever been told uh, the importance of this Lord's Prayer. But this has been the emphasis. This has been the emphasis for 2,000 years, is that this prayer is special precisely because Jesus taught us to pray it. Martin Luther sums it up in saying that God the Father composed this prayer through the mouth of his Son, and so there is no doubt that it must please him immensely for us to pray it. So when we're thinking about the Lord's Prayer uh, one way that can be helpful to sort of conceptualize or think about it is, is as a structure. You can think of it maybe as a building. And this, this whole structure of the Lord's Prayer is to be for us something out of which our personal prayers grow. It is uh, something also out of which our collective prayers as the body of Christ grow or are built out of. So we see that that 
this is, as a structure, it is like a foundation for all the rest of our prayers. Uh, it is a foundation literally, as I've already touched on. We should pray it regularly. And it is a, a foundation or it is a, a structure also conceptually in that there are many things that come out of going through these clauses of the prayer. What it's, what it's doing, in short, is it's teaching us to order our affections properly, according to what God would have our affections to be. I'll, I'll give you a quick illustration. Whether you've had kids or not, doesn't matter. You were a kid at one point, I assume. And when kids are learning to pray, or starting to pray, or in my case, for sure, an adult, um, but it works better with kids. Uh, I was childish in my prayers, still am sometimes. Uh, kids don't by nature ask for things that they ought to ask for. They don't necessarily give thanks for things that they ought to ask for. They don't by nature ask for things that they ought to, but by practice, they learn to ask for things they ought to. So, you know, for my kids, when they first started kind of uttering little prayers, maybe at bedtime or something, it would be something like, thank you for a popsicle I got today. Or when you ask for something, they might say, I hope I get a popsicle again tomorrow. <laughs> Which is fine in as much as they're delighting in something good. That ought to, that ought to please me. That's right. But the, the selfishness that is there also doesn't diminish really as they grow older. It, it increases. And so eventually what we need to be doing is, is drawing their attention to things like the needs of others. We need to draw their attention to the truth of Jesus, to the gospel. And by, by doing this, we help them to develop empathy and we help to uh, develop their affections for and attention to the work of God in the world so that their prayers might still include, I really like that popsicle, thank you for that popsicle, and I'd really like another one tomorrow, and I hope my friend can have a popsicle too. To, to curb this from going in, in too much of a performative direction, um, let's look a little bit further at what the context is here of Jesus. He's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and what he's talking about is he's talking about the attitudes of our hearts. He's equating um, an unrighteous anger with murder. He's equating lust to adultery and so on. He's talking about the attitude of our heart, the ordering of our affections. So he's not just here in this text we read saying, you should always pray quickly and you should never pray in public. Uh, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying, and he's also not saying these are the only words that you should ever pray. But what he is saying is that by learning to pray in this way, you will learn to live in this way. In a sense, the, the Lord's Prayer is a summary of our entire lives because as Christians, we believe and we experience that as we pray, so we live. Now, We've said that the Lord's Prayer is like a structure, right? So if it's a structure, if it's a, if it's a foundation, I'm not a builder, but I can sort of think about these terms. Some of you are builders, and 
I'm maybe messing it up. Uh, but if you're thinking of it as, as a foundation, then, then what does the foundation sort of rest upon? Footers, I've heard them called. Uh, footing. So, so what, is the, what is the basis of this? What is the support of this foundation that is the Lord's Prayer? And we see that it is these two words, our Father. In, in Luke's recording of this, uh, of this, or his account of Jesus teaching his disciples this, um, the disciples come to him and, they, and they've been, been seeing him talking about the Father. Uh, they've been hearing him praying to the Father. And it's not like these, these Jewish people don't have any context for thinking about God as Father. Of course they do. But the way that Jesus is doing it with the intimacy in his, in his voice, with the familiarity that he's speaking, uh, it gets their attention. And, and what they say is, what they're saying is, how do we pray intimately to God? Like, we can't say his name, it's holy. Um, how can we address him? How can we pray to this God of our fathers, the almighty Lord of heaven and earth? And what they're asking is the same thing that every good disciple should be asking Jesus, which is, what exactly are you doing and how can I do it? So they're asking Jesus to teach them to pray our Father. So Jesus, as we see in in Hebrews 1, uh, we see that Jesus has inherited this name that has been, been given to God, that has been given to the Father. We see Jesus has inherited this name, and he sets out for them really simply. He says, you're right. The name of God is holy, and, and it's right that you should remember and pay attention to whom you're speaking. You should approach him in reverence. And then he says, but look, you can just call him Father. And so what we see is that, that knowing, learning, understanding that God is our Father is among the most important things that we can ever learn, among the most important things that we can ever meditate on. I, of course, am not you know, discounting Christ's work, but if we, what we'll see is that that's what Jesus came to do, is, is to show the Father to us. So what does it tell us that the first thing Jesus says we ought to say is Father? And why is he so concerned with that thing? Uh, we can really easily and quickly look and see what a father is, right? We know a father is a, a begetter. Uh, there's a biological component to that, right? Um, my, my dad, uh, when I was growing up, he had this little pillow as I recall, it was on this glider that he had in his office where he would do his quiet time and pray and things like that every morning. And on that pillow, it said, um, any man can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. Now, I haven't really thought much about comparing those two terms, but I think we can get what, what the message is there. It's that there is a, a really basic and not unimportant part of being a father that is, we could say, biological. There is also a a deeper part of being a father that is relational in nature. 
this relational components of fatherhood connects with all the other parts of our life, connects with our emotion, connects with our, our thinking and our experiencing, our learning and developing, our loving and our hoping. And, and he's the source, right? I mean, a baby doesn't just, we've got a couple of babies in here. They're not just like, you're going to be my daddy. That's, that's, what, that's, what the, that's how it works, right? The father is the source. Uh, he asserts himself as the source. There is also a, a repeated exposure and a presence of a father. Uh, there is uh, imprinting, if you will, of a father in the life of a child. Or maybe sometimes there's not. Maybe there's no imprinting at all. Maybe the father is absent. Uh, maybe there's a negative sort of imprinting from a father. Um, my wife, Tiffany, her, her dad left uh, their family when she was five, and her brother and sister were three and two. And, and I'm saying all this with permission uh, sadly, a few years ago, he was killed by cancer. Um, but gladly, uh, years before that, uh, by the grace of God, she was able to, uh, to forgive him and to be reconciled with him. Even though there was, no, there was never any kind of overt conversation about that, really. That wasn't kind of where he was at. Um, and still, right, more than, more than three decades later, it's pretty easy to look at, at those kids, pretty easy to look at that family and see not just scars, not just scars from, from that damage of the father leaving, uh, but in fact to see that there are still open wounds. And of course, hers is far from the only family like that. I'll, I'll put my own cards on the table. You know, I have a great dad. Uh, he texted me before I texted him this morning, uh, telling me Happy Father's Day. Uh, but he's not perfect, and he knows that. I've inherited a lot of good things from him, and I've inherited some not-so-good things from him. He knows that, too. Um, and one day, my kids will reflect and see that they inherited some not-so-good things from me. They'll think that I screwed some stuff up. I just don't know exactly what all of those things are right now. Uh, so what we see really quickly in this consideration of fatherhood is that it is inescapable. Each one of us is marked by our father, whether that's biological, adoptive, whether that is good, not so good, present, absent, affectionate, abusive, like it or not, want it or not, you're marked by your father. And the issue is not just that we fathers fall short and leave these marks on our children. The issue is also in each of us as children. It is uh, that we have a propensity for, for seeking to fulfill our need for acceptance and for love and for identity with all the things except our father. Even if he's a good father, we're looking for all sorts of other things to meet those needs. This shouldn't be surprising to you. 
Um, you know, in this, in this age where we say, no, you can't tell me what my identity is. I will form it. I will forge it for myself. I will define myself. We are nevertheless urged to rely on our perception of other people's perceptions of us in order to construct that identity and think of all the different things, career and achievement, social media and likes, performance, pleasure, possession, whatever the thing is, all of those things are what we would turn to by nature rather than our father for our identity. And this is exactly why Jesus is making such a big deal of putting father out there first. It's because you're not just marked by your father, your earthly father, whatever that has looked like, however painful or amazing that may have been. But he wants you to know that you are indeed marked by your heavenly father. We as a people are marked by our father. See, being, being made in the image of God, being made a child of God, we can learn to forgive. We can reconcile. Um, we can even let go of our identities as they've been shaped by our earthly fathers. I'm not saying disregard it. I'm not saying don't care. I'm not saying don't address the issues that may be present. What I'm saying is that ultimately you're not defined by your earthly father, no matter how godly he might be. No matter what fatherhood is like or has been like in your life, it's going to fail. I am going to fail my daughters. And that's why the most important job for me as a father and the most important job for us as brothers and sisters with Christ is to say, no, look, look, girls, don't rely on me. I will love you the best I can, but I'm also going to fail you. And even if I didn't, one day I'm going to die. But let me point you, let me point you to the father. Let me point you to where you get your identity. You don't get your identity as a Lillard or as Ben's daughter, as good as I hope that will be for you, that is not where your identity can rest. And so I say the same thing to you all today, that you need to remember, you need to see who your true father is. You need to see and hear that this is a truth that does not become more or less true based on how poorly you feel you've performed or how well you feel you've performed, how frustrating and obvious your sin may be or how well you feel like you may have swept it under the rug and concealed it. That God is your father is not something that becomes more or less true. Yet, the psalmist here in 103 calls us to remember he calls upon his soul. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Because we do have to remember, we're called to remember who our Father is and what he does for us. And each time that you remember, each time that we remind ourselves, each time that we remind one another, 
Each time we feel the Father's warm embrace, each time the Holy Spirit reminds us that we're forgiven, each time uh, that you love or forgive or serve other people, you're not made to be more of a son. You're not made to be more of a daughter. Rather, you are made to be more like the son of God, Jesus Christ. So what I'm saying is this. If you want to know what God as your father looks like, if you want to know what God the father's disposition is toward you, you have to look at his son. You have to look at Jesus. Jesus told his disciples repeatedly, I and the father are one. All that the father has given to me, all that the father has, he has given to me. And all that I have, I give to you. See, calling the almighty God Father is no small thing. And we as humans have made wreckage of that relationship and are on our own means unable and hopeless to reconcile it. The immensity of a breach with the almighty God is so far beyond your ability and my ability, our best efforts, our best fatherly efforts. The immensity of this is huge. We've given up a relationship with God. Knowing, knowing that we're not of our own volition going to come and say, I'm sorry, Father, will you forgive me? What does he do? He comes to us. He gives us his only begotten son. So what we see is that Jesus, we foolishly gave up the relationship and are hopeless to remedy it. Jesus comes and willingly gives up the relationship so that we can have it back permanently. Jesus is the only one, as the psalmist is talking about in 103, he's the only one who could remember to keep the commandments. He's the only one who could keep the covenant. He's the only one who could make these things true. And so we read through Psalm 103 because it reminds us of how good our Father is to us over and over and over again, that he forgives us, that he removes our transgressions from us, that he remembers we are dust, and he doesn't treat us like dust. He treats us like he treats his eternal son. And he makes us to be eternal sons and daughters. So if you want to see and understand God the Father, you have to look at his son. And how wonderful is this, that the eternal God, who all mankind would rightfully cower at and be fearful of, would stoop down to us in his son and say, come on, little one, you're with me. How deep a father's love for us that he would come and say, you can call me father. That's who I am. That's who I am for you. This is the key to, to praying the Lord's Prayer. It is holding these things together in our hearts and in our minds that, uh, that the one who is almighty, majestic God, is also warmly and unendingly affectionate father. This is at least some of what it means that God is father. 
what does it mean that he is our father? I'll touch on a couple things really quickly. It means at least two things. It means the church. It means the family of God. It means all of us as brothers and sisters brought into the family by Jesus. So when we pray this prayer, we are truly praying it together with all the saints today who will be praying the prayer. We are praying it with all of the saints and our brothers and sisters of every age past and every age to come. We are praying an eternal prayer and it is eternal because it has been spoken out and given to us by God himself. So that he is our father means is for us, the church. But it also means in some sense that it is for everyone. So we pray this prayer as a priestly people. We pray this prayer as people who have been uh, as orphans, neglected uh, and unfed, who have been brought in and taken care of and loved. We pray this uh, for the other so-called orphans around us that they also would see and know the great love of the Father. N.C. Wright says that, that when we're praying the Our Father, what we're doing is we're standing in the world with its pain, and we're also simultaneously kneeling in the presence of the Creator God and asking Him to do something about it. So it is for the church, and we pray it as sort of a priestly prayer for all of those around us, that they also would be brought into the family. Now, whether, whether this rings true for you, whether you are uh, on some level being reminded today that you're a child of God, whether you're remembering that, or whether you know that this doesn't really ring true, either because you've never thought about it, you've never experienced it, or because it's just too dang hard to think of that because of the marks that I have from my earthly father. Wherever you're at on that, you need to hear the same thing. You need to hear that your identity was never and is never a thing for you to achieve. You need to hear that, that your identity is never a thing for you to construct. You need to look at the words of the psalmist and be reminded tangibly of how good the Father is. You need to hear that he loves you and that he welcomes you. In John 14, verse 18, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and telling him, you know, I, I have to leave you, but it's, it's for your good, I promise. But what does he tell them? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so if you know Jesus, if you're following him, you know, maybe you feel like you're doing the best you can and you're just hit over and over again with this feeling that it's just it's not quite good enough. I'm not really sure what this means that God's the Father. You have been given the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 1. He says, you have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal. What does a seal do? It makes it done. It makes it effective. It's not coming undone. And as a guarantee, if you know Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit to guarantee that for you and to remind you over and over and over again. And if you 
If you don't know Jesus that way, if you don't see and experience the Holy Spirit affecting your life that way, then you can look up here at this empty cross. And, and you can see that it's empty for a reason. It's empty because the sacrifice has already been made. It is done. This stands before you as, as a sign, as a reminder that it has been done. It has been done for you. That God our Father loves you, whether you've really known it or not, and that he welcomes you in through Jesus, who is his son, and who himself calls us brothers and sisters. Um, Luther further talks about this prayer, and he says that God has anticipated us. He himself arranges the words and forms the prayer for us and places it on our lips. And so if you hear this today, what you're to do is to thank Jesus. If you are not sure how to talk to God as Father, just start with that word. Just pray Father. He will give you the prayer. He will give you the words. He will give you by his Holy Spirit the assurance that you have been brought in to his family by the work of Jesus. So if you hear this today, would you respond? Would you call out to him, Father? Let's pray. Father, you are indeed almighty. And I have no right, we have no right to come before you to utter a word except that you have stooped down and you have called us your sons and your daughters. And not only have you given us these words, but you have proven that they are not empty promises, but rather you have given us your son in his life and his death and his resurrection. He has called us brothers and sisters. You have adopted us, Father. And you have further given us your Holy Spirit as a guarantee of these things. I pray, Father, for my brothers and my sisters in this room that you would cover over the multitude of hurts that they've experienced in their lives, that they may even be experiencing this day on Father's Day because of their experience with earthly father figures. Lord, would you redeem these things? Would you draw our attention away from empty fathers like myself and draw our gaze and our affection rather to you, our eternal father, our good, good father? Father, would you pick us up as little children who don't even really know what we need, don't even really know how to ask for the right things. And would you provide for us such a great banquet, such a great host of experience and love in yourself that we would be moved to further and further know and worship you as Father. 
to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray.